All right, everybody, welcome back to the next episode. Today, I am sitting down with my good friend, Santiago Pinzon, who is a philosophy major here at Texas A&M. Santi, thank you for sitting down with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, so just tell me a little bit about how you got into philosophy. Like, what made you want to choose that as a, as a field of study? Well, I, it really started from a, a similar place as a lot of people. Uh, you realize that uh, you have a lot of questions. Everyone has questions about right. things. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I wanted an opportunity to try to pursue those questions. Um, I originally started in engineering my first year, um, and I was kind of doing all the stuff that comes with it, and I realized I didn't really want to do that anymore. Um, it wasn't really a, a thing that I wanted to give my time to. Mm -hmm. I couldn't see myself being happy doing that. And so I gave it some thought and went, well, but what do I want to do? And uh, eventually I went to the, the desire to teach. And then I asked myself, what do I want to teach? And after giving it some thought, I realized, I think philosophy is uh, something I want to teach because it's something that we need to recover, especially in a world that's really crazy mm -hmm. and is afraid to think about things and talk about things with one another. Uh, we need we need that again, and and more importantly is, a, I for me it's a more fulfilling kind of vocation for me. Mm -hmm. It's just more fitting for for what I like, what I'm interested in, what I like to talk about with people. Absolutely, and I would say yeah, and especially in a time like this where you know everybody has a differing opinion about something i would yeah argue we we need more philosophers in the world who you know are willing to you know take those opinions and actually you know marinate it and yeah. think about it and talk about it so yeah um and on this podcast what we do is you know i like to sort of think about the hidden meanings or philosophies that are in a lot of the popular science fiction movies and today i would like to you know discuss blade runner 2049 with you um, but have you ever sort of, I guess, watched any science fiction movies and tried to, I guess, dig through it with a philosophical mindset, per se? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, in fact, sci-fi movies kind of demand that attention from us mm -hmm. because they, the, 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 the root of science fiction is exploring the, the limits of things like humanity, technology, ethics, metaphysics. They naturally go in that direction, and um, and in fact, I'm I'm able to do that this semester because I'm taking a full a class called Philosophy, Film, and Evil with Dr. Conway, and we're right. we're doing just that. We're watching sci-fi yeah. movies, we're dissecting them, we're having discussions about the philosophical roots and discussions that are at the heart of, of each movie that we watch. So I, I think it demands that attention from us. I totally agree, and you know, Blade Runner twenty forty nine is. Personally, it's one of my favorite films, and I, I think that's a movie that completely lives up to, to its predecessor, and in my opinion, I think succeeds its predecessor, which might turn some heads, but, you know, <laughs> like, I like it a lot, and certainly dives into a lot of the themes from the first one, such as, you know, identity, what does it mean to be human, and, you know, stuff like that, so upon seeing 2049 what like just what are some of your initial thoughts of that movie like what sticks out to you immediately yeah, uh, 
you mentioned the question of what it means to be human. I think it fleshes out on that same question because it's definitely the most prominent question that's asked in the first movie mm-hmm. uh, because you, you have you have Deckard really diving into that question, especially uh, in that last confrontation with Roy where uh, Roy seems to transcend the kind of humanity that Deckard would ever achieve. And Roy is this sort of, if you want to be Nietzschean about it, uh, this sort of overman, and he's overcome the kind of cowardice that Deckard has found himself in. And um, you start to question, well, the, Roy seems to be acting pretty human here, but he's a replicant, but I, I don't, can I call him human or not? I right. really don't know. Yeah. But, and 2049 definitely picks up on that, but you have more the biological emphasis because the question then becomes a matter of origin. Because, mm-hmm. of course, the, one of the, the, the central conflict of 2049 is about, well, there is a replicant human baby out there. What do you make of, what do you make of that? Right, yeah. And um, the, it's just a, a rift, like a, a socially implemented rift between replicants and humans on the basis of whether they're born or they're made. That's how you make the distinction between the two. And uh, and you see Kay grapple with that, especially when he's sent on the the mission the mission to to destroy this hidden child, and and, and he says to Lieutenant uh, Yoshi like, I don't know, I've never really killed something with a soul before, mm-hmm. and so he's grappling with the same kind of question that we are, uh, because the, the question becomes, well, does being born make you human, or is it what makes what you do that makes you human? Is it your acts? Is it your deeds? Is it how you grapple with uh, the decisions that come with you uh, that come with your life? And um, and Kay kind of goes through that arc with us, and, and in a way, he, it makes him a really interesting protagonist because um, you see him really teeter on the edge of like you know maybe he's human, especially with. Uh, the memories that he finds in, in himself and th- that they're really real memories even mm-hmm. if they aren't his they're, they're, they're still real exactly yeah. and so for a minute you're like wait he might be human but then when when that promise uh, is subsides um, K is still left with like well am I still just a replicant after this because even though he's not necessarily like the human replicant like hybrid child that he thought he was that experience still was real and was really transformative for him in some way and you get that impression in the final scene as he's dying on those steps to the lab um it's there's a certain sense of sense of ambiguity about that question that uh dennis villeneuve i think quite beautifully leaves for us Absolutely. He leaves us to ponder that for ourselves and leave the theater kind of mulling that over. Right, yeah. And yeah, I totally agree. Very ambiguous ending that I think was totally smart. And earlier you mentioned souls. And I think just in terms of general philosophy and general religion, something that can generally be sort of agreed upon is something that distinguishes humans from other life forms is that humans have souls and generally, you know, in in the first movie and in the original book, do androids dream of electric sheep? And then now Blade Runner 2049 as well. You know, it's always sort of been 
humans are humans and then replicants are not human. That was sort of like the general consensus. But now that replicants are, or at least certain replicants are able to conceive and give birth to children, whether it's a human replicant hybrid or whatever, that leaves the question as well as do replicants have souls or do or does that child conceived from the replicant have a soul as well and so then i feel like that adds another degree into the into the question of what makes a human a human because you know in in general philosophy yeah it's the it's the soul that that helps make the human the human but well, what even causes that's, the soul even that's disputed now though because uh-huh. in the past uh, several decades in the history of Western philosophy, you hear that being disputed as well from more of a materialist uh, direction or perspective in that um, to talking about the soul would be talking about immaterial things. And uh, you, there are a lot of, there, there are many who hold the point of view that uh, the soul itself isn't even what makes us human, it's something else and there's something more biological about that. And I think you see those questions explored in 2049 in particular as well. Um, so yeah, there, there, there is new discourse about that as of like the past 50 or so years. Mm-hmm. And just in terms of the movie in general, I feel like what, if you look at the, you know, the original movie, it, it opened the gate to all of these themes, but it still very much had like a you know, a sort of science fiction action detective kind of plot to it of Deckard trying to hunt down these rogue replicants. And I feel like with 2049, well, you know, there is like, you know, there is some action to it. There is there's plot and action that moves it forward. It's sort of like what makes it shine the most is those themes. It really like, I feel like shines a spotlight on those themes and kind of like lets the action and the, and the, you know, the science fiction action of it sort of take a back seat and lets the theme sort of come out and shine, which I feel like for, you know, a movie nowadays is very unique because, you know, now it's just like, oh, you know, we'll have this action and we'll try and make the themes yeah. under it. We'll layer the themes under it. But I feel like 2049, they were like, no, this is this is what needs to be shined upon. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and 2049 adds the element of AI to that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's sort of the, the benefit of, of 2049 being more recent is that the, the, the understanding of technology in 1982 has changed a lot um, since that time. And so now the, the idea of what it means to be human, it applies to a character like Joy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Villeneuve does sprinkle a little bit of social commentary about, you know, incel culture and uh, <laughs> commodifying like desire for sexual desire um but still imbuing a sense of humanity and joy in a very subtle way um as she approaches her demise um when, when her memory is about to be destroyed by love uh, her her final scream before her death is like i love you but then you start to ask that question is like, well, is she, is she capable of loving? Right. And yeah. um, and you, 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 that's the benefit of twenty forty nine being made at the time that that it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree because yeah, like you said, we have that different understanding of technology, and you know, even though we don't have AI to the sense of 
what joy was in 2049, you know, we still have a sense today of what artificial intelligence is. And we know that it's, it's in the name, it's artificial intelligence. So we sort of have that, that sense that has sort of been in everybody's mind with replicants from the first one of like, oh, we're humans, they're, they're not humans. And they're, they're replicants, they can't feel those emotions. But, you know, I've, like you said, with joy, you, while she is an AI, her last words are screaming, I love you in a very emotional way. So it's like, even though she wasn't real or wasn't a human, she still was able to feel and convey those emotions. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a topic that's debated in philosophy as well. It, does artificial intelligence have a conscience? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to have a conscience? How similar is it to the human conscience? And how does that get enveloped into the, our current technological world? Um, there are just new possibilities being opened up and you see those themes being used in 2049, but like you were saying earlier, uh, it's not just for the sake of special effects or CGI or, hey, this is some cool tech that we have now, you wanna see it? It's, it's used as a vessel, um, even though those things are really cool, and, there's, and I'm, I'm sure that both of us would agree that the visual effects and uh, Roger Deakins' cinematography in the movie is absolutely fantastic. Oh, for sure. Um, that's not the point of the movie. The point of the movie is thematic. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's those things that go, come to the forefront in such a visually stunning movie, I think goes to show the quality of it. Because the quality of a movie really boils down to, does it stick with you? Mm -hmm. do, do, do you still think about it when you leave your theater or your living room? Um, and I think that, that applies for, for this film as, as, as well as its predecessor. Oh yeah, I totally agree. It's definitely a movie that, you know, the, fir like, the first time I saw this movie was back in 2017 when it first came out. But, you know, it's a movie that stuck with me for years and I, I rewatch it periodically just because it sticks with me and every time I watch it, like I feel like it never loses its its shine. Like I still I still find new things to to think about each time I watch it. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll go ahead and start wrapping up, but Santi, thank you so much for, for talking about this with me. Yeah, I'd really love your insight and it was gr great to hear you just be you and talk about philosophy. Yeah, and thank you for giving me the excuse to do that. <laughs> I'm always looking for excuses to nerd out about things. Oh, absolutely. So I, I appreciate that. Of course. And thank you to everybody tuning in, and we'll see you all next week.